and keep in mind it this is this is done in in terms of story not because there's a sexual tension that that occurs but because the unicorn like they're saying that there's a negative aspect to being a human is that you have these feelings yeah. right and that becomes like a major point throughout the rest of the film no, like I of how right. I mean, it's kind of a curse to it, her. It is a curse. Yeah, she he, even says like, "I can feel my body dying." Yeah, like, like within the first five minutes of being human, she like, can, why I can did, feel of, this of dying. all creatures? Why did you turn me into this one? That's Till the Words Run Out by singer-songwriter Josh Nolan off his album Fair City Lights, which you can purchase of iTunes. Find a link in our show notes. And the voices you heard before that was that of Cult Film in Review as they discussed The Last Unicorn, which leads into a discussion for us about Paddington 2 and adult themes in kids' films. Welcome to Marcus Play. This is a movie podcast about movie podcasts. I'm Andrew Pierce from AB Film Review, and on this episode I'm joined by Jesse. Also from Marcus Played. Mr. Gruber? Oh, what's this? Ah, this is London. It's wonderful. Aunt Lucy always dreamed of coming to London. If she saw this, it would be like she were finally here. Oh, this is perfect. We're here. I, I'm Andrew. You're Jesse. Welcome, everybody, to Marcus Played. Uh, and we're here to talk about adult things in kids' films, or like uh, kind of like adult themes or adult uh, issues or topics that that appear in kids' films and are a little bit unexpected in a lot of ways. And we're tying this in with the release of Paddington 2, which I was a huge fan of the first Paddington, and I absolutely love the second Paddington uh, a lot. I think it's a really fantastic film. It's even better than the first film. And, you know, the core theme of Paddington, which I learned a little bit the history of the Paddington Bear, which I'll, I'll go into in a little bit, um, the core theme of him is he's, he's, he is a refugee who's come to uh, London essentially seeking a better life, a, a safer life. Um, and that's kind of like a, it's a pretty big dark theme to to stick it in the core element of a kids film. Um, now you watched this recently for the first time. Did you find that that particular element worked for the film or the story or telling of it? And did it come in the way of uh, possibly an adult's appreciation of the film or a kid's appreciation of the film? I think it worked extremely well, and it, it, adults will definitely very much appreciate it. I know I did, uh, especially seeing it the first time. And one of the things that I really enjoy about having adult films in, or adult themes, adult films, adult themes in children's films is uh, you grow up with, I don't know, that little piece of information that kind of makes your soul whole, especially if it's a compassionate theme, like a lesson that you learn how to accept someone who's different or overcome adversity or, you know, keep trying regardless of the outcome, that sort of thing. You know, if it's in a beloved childhood movie and you just grow up with it, that theme evolves and grows with you. So I think it's really important to have adult themes in children's films. And this one, 
uh, you know, my kids really, really liked Paddington when I showed it to them. And I don't think that they fully understood or got, you know, the darker theme. But I look forward to them growing with it because they definitely want to watch it again. Yeah, it's like, and, uh, yeah, like when we're kids, we watch films and, and we see them and we're like, oh, it's just a fun little film. You know, it was entertaining and, and stuff like that. And when you grow up and you rewatch it and you revisit it, like I remember, you know, this would probably say a lot about me, but nonetheless, I remember absolutely loving Return to Oz as a kid and really enjoying it a lot. And then as an adult, you rewatch it and then you see like uh, the shock machine that, that is used for uh, Dorothy. And it's got this, like the doctor literally stands there and, and says, look, these are its two eyes and it's got this smiling face and we're just going to give you a little, you know, it's going to tickle you with this, uh, this electricity essentially. And it's like, as a kid, you think nothing of it. And then as an adult, I was like, oh my God, like that's, she's getting shock therapy. It's, it's madness. It's crazy. So these duality things, uh, you know, it, it's a real fine line uh, that you've got to really uh, kind of navigate, I guess, and make it work. Um, I don't have kids, but you do have kids. So how, how often do you have, do you interact with these kinds of films and, and find, like, uh, what is the kind of film that you think would be like, this is too much, you're putting too much adult stuff in a kid's film? Well, I'm sure a lot of, peop- a lot of people will disagree with me. I actually very much like showing them, you know, my uh, Bluth collection. It's like, here, be traumatized the rest of your life and watch <laughs> the beautiful animation of Don Bluth. Um, but you know, I, I think it's really important to teach children lessons yeah. as children that they will that will pay off when you're an adult. You know, I, I feel like having that information very uh, gently ingrained into you. You know what I mean? It's like just kind of set your moral compass a little bit. You know, uh, from the get go, and a lot of the time that has to do with uh, adult themes. But I, I want to say the most recent, <clears throat> like film that was kind of geared towards children or at at least the look of it was that I let my nine-year-old watch that I watched along with him for the first time and was like oh oh no let's turn this off (laughs) was uh was maybe nine oh yeah okay Um, the animated film uh, yeah it was it was too like it was really interesting it was a good story good vocal work you know but my God, just watching, like, doll after doll become lifeless, mm. like, that's, that's creepy. Like, yeah. I, I remember watching it and getting the same feeling that I got when I watched, like, the little girl in the red coat and Schindler's List walk through as everyone's, like, dying all around her. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, this is a little bit too, like, I feel like they need to understand about, like, redemption and the fact that, you know death is scary but you need to prepare for it as opposed to like death is inevitable children you will all become like soulless meat puppets one day like i just didn't i didn't like the message yeah yeah that's understandable i, I completely understand that uh, now is probably a good time to bring in the, the podcast that i mentioned uh that i brought to the table which is the retro cinema podcast and in their episode they talk about the dark crystal which you know it's a, a film that a lot of us grew up with kids and uh, as kids and it's really a dark film and, and a lot of those Jim Henson style films uh, really dove into the darkness there. Do well and and yet again this was up against the behemoth that was E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Yeah, and I think it, it suffered uh, similar to a lot of other films at the time as being is it a bit too dark? Because I mean 
this was always sort of kind of shown off as being a kid's movie. And the eternal argument is, are you a Labyrinth fan or are you a Dark Crystal fan? It's kind of like being a Star Wars or a Star Trek, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah. But it's pretty dark in a lot of places. It is. And, and look, the story behind that was Frank Oz wrote it with, with his daughter, actually, when they were stuck somewhere uh, in an airport because it snowed in or something. <laughs> and they sat down and wrote it. And as Frank Oz said, he was a big fan of the Grimm's brothers fan uh, books mm-hmm. um, and they were always quite dark and as he said children shouldn't be sheltered from darkness from death no. or from from being scared there's nothing wrong with children being a little bit frightened i mean there's nothing graphic in this movie it's absolutely a children's movie but it's it's children can't grow up in a bubble no. you know and as you and i know when we were growing up we watched all the movies our parents watched there is a reason why those fairy tales exist and they're there's a reason why they've persisted throughout time because yes, there is a little bit of darkness in there, but they actually expose kids to something and they teach kids to something and they expose kids to the reality of the world in a lot of ways through the eyes of kids stories. So, you know, these, these puppets essentially in the dark crystal, which, you know, are grotesque beings and they, they are very frightening in some ways, but uh, what happens in that film and Labyrinth to an extent as well is is so dark, but um, you know kids are able to relate to it and learn from it because of that darkness. Uh, so I found that really interesting, and and you know certainly for me I really enjoy kids films that have a little bit of darkness. I also enjoy kids films that don't have darkness in them, and maybe darkness isn't the right word, but uh, difficult themes or, or topics which they may not be, uh, you know, they may not be able to understand or grapple at a young age, uh, like, for example, refugees or stuff like that. Or um, I think of the opening of Up. Everybody, you know, all I hear is adults going crazy about Up, you know, and I love Up a lot, you know, but adults always go nuts for that film and and absolutely love it because of the opening of it. But I remember going to see it myself and sitting near a bunch of kids who probably about eight, nine years old, and they're like, where's the talking dog? Isn't this film supposed to have a talking dog in it? And while their parents are sitting there bawling their eyes out because they're like, oh, my God, you know, this is somebody's whole entire life gone past, and the kid's like, I don't care about that. I just want the talking dog. Um, So, yeah, I I found that really interesting. Yeah. Well, and similarly interesting, it's a point that you had made earlier, and... I feel like a lot of the dark themes or the adult themes kind of go over children's heads simply because of the uh, magic and kind of mystery involved in what they're actually seeing or talking about because death to them is not something real unless you've had a really traumatic childhood. Mm. Um, having to leave your parents and go off to a foreign land like is not a real thing because they don't haven't experienced it yet unless, you know, again, traumatic childhood. So it's like a lot of the things that have adult themes have kind of like a magical mystery spooky like let's get under the blanket with flashlights and tell tales of you you know what i mean yeah so in a way it's kind of got this mystical magical essence to it that kind of adds to the um ambiance of the film you know Mm -hmm. what i mean so it's like and you don't realize that that feeling that you're getting when when you're a child is actually going to follow you into adulthood and show you that you actually know good experiences to base your future behavior on because of these childhood films. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, um, I, I feel like that's one of the best reasons to include darker material in children's films 
is because it gives them a little bit of the like, ooh, this is forbidden tangle, you know what I mean? Yeah. While still kind of uh, prepping them for a difficult decision or time later on in life. Well, I think there's something in our minds that also holds on to these things. You know, there there is a reason why people have latent memories or, or feelings about uh, things that they, they, you know, as adults can never remember from their childhood, but... Um, you know, they have, they have long-growing effects on, on them. That's the whole reason that, uh, you know, PTSD exists and stuff like that. It's, it's that we, we hold on to memories that form who we are as people. And I think that's one of the key things about these films that manage to do it properly is that they help instill something into somebody. And I think that's the important thing is that they, they make it, uh, you know, like in Paddington, they weave it into the narrative in such a natural way that it's not a lesson for a lesson's sake or it's not a, you know, a point for a point's sake. It is just part of who a character is, which is the core of, uh, you know, all great filmmaking is that if it's a well-written character, if it's a well-acted character, then anything that they do or say will feel natural. And I think, you know, we were talking uh, beforehand about Three Billboards, which is obviously not a kid's film, um, but that has themes in it which are very much like, uh, this is what the film is about. It is about X, Y, and Z. And the characters kind of slot into those those fields of, you know, they have to act out the, the, the meaning of this particular theme, if that makes sense. Whereas, uh, you know, kids' films like Paddington are very much like, all right, he's a refugee, he's just trying to uh, push his goodness into the world, and that's who he is, his character, and we're going to make that, you know, his character arc. Do you find that kind of thing, am I, am I talking in circles, or do, do you find that, um, uh, you know, kids' films that have uh, lessons just for lessons' sake uh, just don't resonate as much? Uh, you know... I kind of agree with you. It's almost like the difference between the Lorax, you know what I mean? Because that's a very specific message of like, hey, save our planet, which FYI, that's a great message. That's <laughs> wonderful. Everyone read and watch the Lorax. That's great. But um, if you actually take it a little bit farther and go to something like uh, Land Before Time, you know what I mean? Or Where the Wild Things Are. It's like they've got kind of similar messages, but they're hidden inside the perseverance of the soul and the you know, how the person reacts to all of the things that are actually going on around them. Fern Gully, too. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, which I, I still maintain Avatar is just a live-action Fern Gully, and shame on James Cameron. <laughs> but, um, but what you were talking about insofar as, you know, lessons being just kind of intrinsic to a character... Uh, I immediately thought of one of my absolute favorite... Well, it is my favorite Disney movie, and that's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Right, yeah. And, um, you know, there are very obvious lessons there. You know, don't be... Uh, don't be sexist. Don't be a bigot. Don't uh, shy away from people who are different than you. Uh, always persevere, you know, regardless of whether or not you're winning, that kind of stuff. But if you actually, like, step back and take a look at the character of Quasimodo... The fact that, I think one of my, the reason why it's one of my favorite Disney movies is that he himself does not get a happy ending. Mm. Like, other than the fact that, like, Frollo's gone, who, by the way, is the most viciously evil Disney villain of all time. Fight me. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, he doesn't get the girl. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, and just, like, not only does he not get the girl, but 
she fully goes with another person. And that can breed that and like the fact that he is disfigured and just uh, deformed. He could be uh, very, very bitter and he could turn into a villain himself. He could use these things to kind of fuel villainy. Mm. But instead, he uses them to fuel friendship and compassion and understanding. And my God, if that's not a lesson for how to live your life, I don't know what is. You know, the, the perfect ending of a film where, you know, the guy gets the girl and they run off into the sunset kind of thing. And that's not real life. That's, that's not what real life is about. It, it's, it doesn't happen that way. That's one of the reasons why The Secret of Nim is still one of my favorite children's movies, and I'll watch it over and over again. Yeah, um, yeah. And that, that's a film yeah. I haven't seen since I was a kid, but I can remember everything about it. You know, mm-hmm. I can remember being devastated as a kid and watching it and just being afraid for all of the characters in that film. And, and you, know, the, that, you know, that kind of animation, that kind of storytelling really sticks with you. And, you know, for a film which it's got to be at least 25 years since I've seen it that still I can imagine, I can remember everything that goes in it and like Five or Goes West and stuff like that. All of those films, you're just like... Sorry. Oh, no, it's all right. They're just like... They're easy to remember because you have an emotional connection to what's going on. Uh, it's so powerful in, in that way. Um, Do you know so, that was Jimmy Stewart doing Wiley Burp? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's crazy as well. Like, I don't know. It's... It, when I grew up and I recognized who he was as an actor and, and really dove into his work, you know, this sounds really selfish, but, uh, you know, just like with Audrey Hepburn as well, I was like, I was so so glad that uh, I was alive on this earth at the same time as they were, that, that I was able to be on this earth at, at the same time as somebody like Jimmy Stewart, who's such a, a powerful actor, such a great actor, um, mm-hmm. you know, and certainly, you know, in films like that where, as a kid, I had no idea who he was, but there, there is that connection, you know, there's that, that powerful connection, which when uh, you watch them as a kid and then you grow up and you see his adult films, you know, like Vertigo and stuff like that, and you're just like, man, this is, uh, I feel like I've grown up with this person. I've had a connection with them because of the kids' work that they've done, uh, which I think is actually kind of interesting because, you know, the, you know I'm, I'm a huge fan of the... the animated films that use nobodies as the, the voice actors because as adults we're like oh we know that Charlize Theron we know that's Matthew McConaughey and stuff like that we know that that's them where we can imagine them stand behind a microphone but I can imagine for kids when they they may not be familiar with who those actors are but then when they grow up they'll be like I know that voice from somewhere and then you know maybe hopefully a kid in 20 years time when they've grown up they have seen Kubo and the Two Strings as a kid, and then they watch Young Adult and sa- as an adult, and they're like, oh, Charlize Theron, I know her from this as, you know, being a kid and stuff like that. That connection is really powerful, yeah. Oh, it's extremely powerful. I actually was very obsessed with uh, the voices that I heard that I could recognize over and over again when I was a kid. So, like, Jim Cummings was my hero, Kat Suse was my hero, Nancy Cartwright was my hero, and I actually wanted to get into voiceover work. Yeah. Um, but I remember the first time that I realized that Jeff Bridges was the voice of King, of Prince Lear in The Last Unicorn. Right, yeah. <laughs> and then he, like, sang that song and everything. And I would never really paid attention to the cast, and I remember going back and watching the movie, and I just see, like, Alan Alda 
Christopher Lee, Angela Lansbury, Jeff Bridges. I'm like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> this is like an all-star cast. Like, Mia Farrow, did I list her? Um, but uh, The Last Unicorn is actually the show that was discussed on the podcast that I brought forth. That was a cult film and review. They discussed it in November of last year. And, it, and maybe there is some nostalgia with it because I used to watch it a lot when I was a child. But I really just like the character of Molly a lot. And I, and I really like when she when she gets emotional and sad about things. Like, there are moments where I was like, that's really beautiful in a weird way that she has this connection, you know, and that she doesn't want to see this unicorn suffer. Hmm. And I think it also says something, to the idea of... of I always thought the, the idea of a, of an immortal creature turning into a human and then just, like, feeling the death and then being immediately scared and, ter- like, terrified. Like, right. I remember that kind of being like, wow, like, that. I wonder if that would be an experience that you would feel. Yeah. That you would now, like, we, that when you're born, you're, you're what is it? Like, what's the line? Like, once you're born, you're or immediately dying or something like that. Yeah. So you're on your way or whatever. Like, to, to now feel that moment of, mm-hmm. like, okay... Now time's ticking down. Right. I was like, kind of like, struck me as like an like a really interesting like concept. And one of the most interesting things about that discussion was the uh, negative like aspect of being a human being, mm-hmm. and that's a really heavy thing to lay on a child. Is yeah. to kind of differentiate, you know, that like you from the moment that you're born, you start dying. And that's not something that children really grasp or understand. Yeah. But I remember watching this as a kid, and, you know, she gets turned from a unicorn, you know, this beautiful, mystical, magical, immortal being, into a human. And immediately she says, you know, this I, I can feel this body dying all around me. And I got to tell you, as a kid, it, it, like, it creeped me out, but at the same time, it kind of instilled this thing in the back of my mind, like, you know, time's up eventually. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, especially something to learn when you're young, to, like, make every moment count. You know, it's like, the sooner you learn that, the better. And that's definitely a very dark theme. The entire movie deals with some pretty dark, inappropriate stuff, for children, anyway. Um, And yes, I let my kids watch it, and they love it. (laughs) It's, it's, It's a lesson that I'm really glad that I learned at a young age, you know? I probably wouldn't have lived my life the way that I did if I didn't have this influence of, hey, and, you know, at some point the time's up. Yeah. In that regard as well, do you find that there has been a big difference in the kids' films from the 80s uh, to the kids' films now? Um, You know, I remember going to see Big Hero 6 and being very surprised at the darkness in that film. You know, the emotional... It's a great one. Yeah, and the emotional moments in that film I had no idea would... Occur, and I remember watching and seeing kids bawling their eyes out, and you know, and or maybe uh, even a better comparison is um, there's a beautiful, beautiful Irish film called Song of the Sea, which is just a fantastic, stunning film. And I sat behind in the screen that I went and saw. I sat behind a, a man and his daughter, and about halfway through the film, the daughter went and climbed up in his dad in her dad's lap, and was bawling her eyes out for the whole entire film. And it's such a beautiful, powerful film. So, so beautiful, so, so powerful. And I know that she will carry that film with her for the rest of her life. I just know that that moment right there was just this foundational moment for her carrying carrying forward. And I'm, I'm really curious to see whether, you know, 
because you, you would probably watch a lot more kids' films than I do, but I'm curious whether you have noticed a change uh, in sort of the mainstream films from the 80s to now. Well, uh, it definitely happens less now, and I think that's because the studios think, like, we got to, you know, make stuff, you know, happen really, really fast, and it's got to be colorful, and it's got to be, like, you know, I don't know, serving the ADHD crowd and all that stuff. It, it's, it's rare to find a nice, calm like well-told structural children's story nowadays in our children's film they still exist you know one of my absolute favorite i guess it's franchise now um is uh, how to train your dragon oh yeah and when we were talking about beautiful cgi holy shit mm. like you can see like individual grains of sand moving when like hiccup is carving in the sand and you can see the entire forest in the background of like uh toothless's eyes when he opens them up and looks at him like he's about to kill him like it's stunning it's um, some of the most stunning cgi work i've ever seen so it's beautiful to look at which is impressive and great but one of my favorite things about that movie is interestingly death does not seem to be like that seems to be a pretty recurring theme in children's film especially mm-hmm. disney it's like right away parents die or one <laughs> of the parents die, or one of the parents dies and uh, you got to go on from there. And what's interesting is that you don't really ever see that affect the character in much of a way that children can kind of take home. They're just like, oh, well, the mom's dead, and now it, like, we move on. Um, <laughs> Which I'm, I really sure, liked. I'm sure as a mum yourself, you're probably thinking, thanks, Disney. Uh, you're, you're killing me off early. You know, I, I plan to be around for quite a while here. <laughs> I mean, I planned it. We'll see. Um, <laughs> But I, I've got a fun story about accidentally showing my kids a mom dying off early. And apparently they can see every Disney movie in which the character doesn't react to the parent dying. And they're fine. But you show them one episode of Supernatural and they have one dream about me stuck to the ceiling bursting into flames. <sighs> anyway, um, regret. But <laughs> with How to Train Your Dragon... He does the right thing, and he does the heroic thing towards the end of the film. And you see him just kind of, like, fall into this big explosion and all this stuff. And when he wakes up, he just fucking doesn't have a foot. Like, it's Mm. gone. Yeah. And it's one of my favorite things about that movie is it's like, do the right thing. Be heroic. Do what your gut tells you. But FYI, there are consequences to every action that you take. Mm. And additionally, on top of that you can deal with any kind of thing that comes your way. Because almost immediately, he's got, like, little attachments for it, and he's walking around fine, and all of a sudden, he's got a really cute America Ferrera girlfriend. You know, it's like... <laughs> it's it's a really good lesson for children to say, what you do should be good, but regardless of what you do, there are consequences. Despite those consequences, you can adapt and succeed. Yeah. So it's like, it's it's dark, but it's got a really good, enduring message. Okay, so... The next thing I, I'm, I'm curious about as well is that, like, for me, 2017 was a really interesting year. There's a lot of great, great films, but one of the things, like, I used to be a really cynical person, and, and so much to the point that when Conan O'Brien's last show doing The Late Show or whatever it was, uh, you know, the thing, the thing that he kind of signed off that show was, you know, if there's one thing that I can tell people is to not be cynical. And, of course, I... Me sitting there, I was like, oh, yeah, of course you'd say that. So I was very cynical about everything. And 
you know, in 2017, there was a bunch of films that I watched you know, that, that chipped away at my cynicism throughout the whole entire year. And the one that really knocked it down was Paddington 2 for me. And mostly because it's such an eminently pos- uh, positive film, hopeful, positive, charming film that, that is like, it, it sees the positive in everybody in a lot of ways. And, and it, it's about somebody who is doing their little bit to make everybody else's lives just that little bit brighter. And that was such a strong resonating message that I wondered... Like for me, it hit it hit everything positively and properly. But I wonder for kids in this really, you know, I I don't know what a kid is going to be like going through a time where we've got Trump as a president. And I don't mean to bring politics into it, but it's you know for adults it's a dark, confusing, terrifying time. But I have no idea how kids are going to be able to deal with that because you know this has got to be really confusing for them. So I'm hoping that a film like Paddington 2 comes along and helps make their path forward in this world just that little bit easier, you know, showing that positivity can can be found anywhere. Um, I don't mean to go so dark and deep and everything, but how... No, that's what it's about. Yeah. How are you navigating that as a a parent? Um, Uh, I actually have a lot to say about that. But, like, first, uh, you you were talking about Paddington 2 and how positive it is and I can't wait to see it um, but did I, I had a question did you ever have a film growing up that showed you that because I did um, like how positive things can be and stuff like that um, uh, well, and not only positive like how positive things can be but like being positive for your yours and others sake in the face of pretty consistent adversity you know anything like that did you have like a children's film or show that um, kind of inspired that in you? Yeah, there was a TV show called The Trapdoor, which is about this little blue guy, but uh, it's a clay animation film, uh, TV show, and it's very short, but uh, I absolutely love it, and I still watch this an adult. I think it's fantastic. It's this British, British TV show, and he's this guy who has to feed the thing downstairs, and he's got this little friend, which is a skull called Boney, and it's just about the, the, the life that he lives and kind of like the, the, the difficult uh, circle that he has to, to be within uh, in this, this castle that he lives in. And it's a fantastic little show because it's, it's very positive. He's always hopeful. He's always looking forward. He's always going, all right, yeah, okay, today's going to be really difficult, but I tell you what, we're going to get through it and it's going to be okay at the end. And the series finale of that show is absolutely beautiful because it ends with him finally being able to get out of the castle and uh, living life for himself. It's it's such a touching, beautiful show. And it's a show that I I don't know. Like, I don't know if many people remember it or, at all, but it's a show that I hold dearly because it, it, it taught me a heck of a lot. And these episodes are only five-minute episodes. You know, they're short clay, man, clay animation episodes, but they work so well in instilling everything that I saw in Paddington 2. So, yeah, that's that's my answer to wow. your question. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm going to have to look that up. Um, but, like, for mine, um, it was uh, The Little Princess. I saw that when I was... I would have been preteen. And yeah. uh, not only was it the first time that I, I was really struck by live-action imagery because it was directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Um, but, my God, at every turn she 
did everything that she possibly could to bring positivity to herself and others. And the adversity just kind of keeps getting worse and worse and worse. It also has a really good message about accepting others that are different than you. And to just never give up, you know, it's just the amount of constant positivity. And it can get negative, and she has to kind of retool and figure out how to be positive. And you, mm. you watch all those, you know, wheels spin and everything. And because of that, I feel like that really has affected my life going forward. And it's, it's kind of what I bring to answer your original question to like those are the lessons that I bring to talk about the current political and social climate with my kids is this is a bad thing but uh, what's that uh, what's that Mr. Rogers quote like look for the helpers you know what I mean um, like this is a bad thing but the good thing about bad things is that it makes good things very 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 obvious um, I think that was actually something that Don Bluth said, was like, uh, if it weren't for December, no one would appreciate May. It's just important that you see both sides of that. And it's like, right now we're in quite a December. Yeah. So, you know, being able to kind of, like, explain to my children, especially my oldest, he is biracial. So it's like there's a whole other aspect of it where, you know, he's going to school, and I live in a very red, like, state and town. So he's going to school with people who are like... Barack Obama sucks and he's horrible and Trump's awesome and he's not racist. What are you talking about? And they're saying that to the face of my little nine-year-old who is biracial. And I mean, he came home in tears and I just held him while he cried for almost an hour, you know, talking to him about how these kids, if their parents told them all their lives that the sky was green, they're not really going to understand that it's blue because they've been... Uh, you know, the mm. fact that it's green has been ingrained to them. And I said, that doesn't make them bad people. It just means that they have learned the wrong things. And above all else, I have to teach compassion, understanding, intelligence, and logic. Because if so, you know, I, I basically said, okay, so who said that he's not racist? <laughs> and he said, you know, this kid. I was like, okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up a couple of articles of things that he said that are actually racist, and I'll, watch, I'll write them down for you. And if he says it again, then you can just say, well, he actually said this, this, and this. And if he continues to argue with you, then you just say, I have no interest in talking about this anymore because we're not going to agree, and you walk away. It's like you've got to take the high road. You've got to because the low road's no kind of way to go. Like, yeah. Would you actually rather be someone who thinks the sky is green? which is incorrect. Um, so, yeah, you know, I just kind of teach them that at this point you can look around and you can see the people who think the sky is green and you can see the people who are actively trying to make the world better. And it's extremely clear. And I can <laughs> track that all back to learning to see the different sides of things and add positivity to it from the little princess. You know what I mean? These are things that... Had I not had these adult lessons instilled in me when I was young, I may not have the same moral compass that I do now. And I think it's extremely important for children to be able to have that compass. I, I agree, and I, I remember seeing that as a kid as well, uh, you know, and really enjoying it. I thought it was a great film, and, and certainly a really impressive film. And, you know, it's strange that you mentioned, obviously it's directed by Alfonso Cuaron, but it's... It feels so strange that, uh, you know, I'd completely forgotten that he is a director who's kind of been there 
in my life throughout my life and just in the background and, and unaware that he's telling these kinds of stories and I find it interesting as well that you know uh, kind of like a, a bizarre companion film to Little Princess is uh, obviously Pan's Labyrinth which is a adult fairy tale but it, it reminds I think what works so well about Pan's Labyrinth is that it's like Guillermo del Toro is saying to adults like you know all those lessons that you learnt in all those kids films don't forget them and I'm going to present them to you in a film that is packaged to you uh, in the way that you would be able to easily digest because it's very adult and you know the story that, that in that film is really painful and it's very difficult to go through but through the young actress's eyes the young girl's eyes we get to see this world and, and how she interacts with it in such a, a powerful way that I think that you know as we grow up I think we reach a point where uh, we think that alright I've learned everything I le- need to learn and now I'm going to be set my ways and I think the key thing is is that you know we need to always question ourselves and we, we need to kind of say is this who I want to be is this the person that I want to be and through a film like Pan's Labyrinth I think that it really presents you know us with that question of like well shit you know that's a really dark situation what would I do in that situation and how would I interact with that so I think that we all need kids films we all need you know kids stories and stuff like that and it's one of the things which really bothered me quite a lot because I was a huge champion of Paddington when it came out and it's made me happy to no end that Paddington 2 is currently sitting at like 100 reviews 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and it's loved by everybody because I had a whole bunch of people say to me oh how could you like Paddington? It's terrible. You know, it's just a, a film about, you know, a talking bear. And it's like, yes, look past that. Enjoy it for what it is. And also look past that a little bit more. And you'll see that there's such a beauty in that film. And sure, you know, it may not work for everybody. But I tell you what, if you give it a shot, then it might just open up something that you didn't know. And I think that's a hard thing is that I think a lot of people are going to become cynical or are going to become... Uh, you know, find comfort in darkness and I, I, I'm afraid of that because I, I want people to be able to feel hope, feel happy and, and that was the whole point of President Obama's uh, running, you know, way back when was hope, you know, and I, I hope that through cinema through kids films, that at least that still exists I didn't mean for this episode to go political but um, <laughs> nonetheless <laughs> you know, I think that that's the thing is that like for me, kids' films can answer questions that kids have that their parents can't answer themselves. Do you know oh, what I mean? Totally. I, absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned that you didn't mean for it to go political. And by the way, you totally have free reign to edit. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it actually just uh, made me aware. Like, have you seen Coco yet? I haven't. Not yet. No. <sighs> I don't want to spoil it, but I got to uh, tell I know, you. I know uh, what happens in it. Yeah. So feel free to spoil okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Spoiler alert, everybody. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm so glad I took my kid to go see that because it's beyond like the Lion King. I want to say it's one of the first times that a Disney villain has flat out murdered. Mm-hmm. And especially this villain is seen as the hero. And I remember walking out of that, and especially with everything that's been going on with like Me Too and everything going on politically. I remember being able to turn to Nolan, that's my oldest, and say, you see a lot of the time when people get to the top, 
and get to the point that they're beloved. They've really stepped on someone to get there. And that's something that you need to understand intrinsically, is that chances are someone that you admire has done something bad to somebody else to get to that level and that platform. And that's why we need to be really careful to, like, to hold our admiration back beyond true and actual love because mm-hmm. otherwise we get really hurt um, so that was a really interesting lesson too you talk about political you know if we talk about the political aspects of the darkness of the times just look at Coco it's really really interesting to see that lesson built in there um, but darkness again you know like talk about the nothing in the never ending story Oh, you know, yeah. it's like these, <laughs> like these lessons have been brought to us over and over and over again. I often say, I don't understand how we ended up in this political climate. Didn't anyone watch kids' movies growing up in the 80s? Like, they're all, like, 80s and 90s, they're all about, hey, uh, appreciate people who are different than you. Save the environment. Um, read and make sure that your imagination and that the, your cynicism doesn't take you over. But that's exactly what it kind of ended up happening. Is yeah. that it all went a little bit the opposite. I'm like, where are these people who made these movies? Where are the people who watched these movies? I can't be the only one. I don't understand. So, Well, that's it. And I do wonder uh, how far-reaching these films are. Like, uh, you know, there, there, there certainly is uh, the difference between people who do engage with cinema and stuff like that um, versus those who don't. I'm not saying that people who don't watch films are stupid. Uh, they're not. No. But it's just a case of they are... They go through life differently. And, you know, I look at my, my sister's partner, for example. Nice guy. Really nice guy. Last film he watched, he has no idea what it was. Uh, but he will watch probably hours of sport a day. And he enjoys that, you know. And that's how he engages with life. It's how he engages with uh, the world, which is fine. No problems. However, uh, his path is going to be completely different to mine. So that's something as somebody who's interested in um, film, uh, I'm curious about where those people end up and and how they end up with uh, these life lessons that, that we're getting from cinema. Um, and we also learn lessons from life itself, of course, uh, not just cinema. We aren't just, you know, sitting watching film all the time. <laughs> You're not? I no. That's totally I, how I'm just, yeah, I'm living life through the box, Black Mirror style. That's it. Well, exactly. That's that's what they. That's the whole point of you know. Uh, somebody mentioned uh, the ignorance, uh, which I had as well, about um, the title Black Mirror. Um, of course, mm-hmm. I had no idea that it was actually the phone, like uh, you know, the, the black face of your phone. So yeah, that's it. Yeah, creepy, awesome. But uh, yeah, ultimately, I'm just really glad that adult themes are in children's movies it's just i wouldn't be the person i am now and i promise i don't just stay home and watch television (laughs) Um, but like i wouldn't be the person that i am now if i didn't learn that stealing was wrong from all dogs go to heaven and that you don't get second chances and that you know you can uh power through and provide for yourself from like the land before time or that you never give up from american tale you know what i mean it's like I, I don't think I'd be the person that I am now, and I don't think my children would be the people that they're becoming if it mm. wasn't for these lessons. Yeah, and that you learn early on. Yeah, I, I, and for me, I think that you know, yeah, I've learned so much from kids films, and especially kids films from the perspective of animals as well. Mm-hmm. Like I, I learned, oh look, animals have emotions too. 
and you know that that really shaped who I was as a person as well. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, kids films—they're good people. Thanks for listening to another episode of Marcus Played, which is something you're just about to do at the end of this episode. Make sure to listen to the podcast that we recommend on the show, the Retro Cinema Podcast, as well as Cult Film in Review Podcast. And follow Jesse on Twitter at Search to Find You, and you can follow me at AB Film Review, and you can follow all of us at Marcus Played.